Hi, I'm Maddie. And I'm David. And you're listening to Legend Logic. We're live from Maddie's closet. Finally. Finally back. Um, in my defense, we recorded this a while ago, but the audio came out all wonky, so we're actually re-recording this episode. And so that was the reason for our, like... You shut your mouth. Three-month hiatus. Okay. We had one, like, minor life event happen. We got engaged. Indeed. I'm showing you my ring right now, but you can't see it. We also were sick for a little while. You were traveling for work. We had the holidays. Yeah, we had the holidays now. It's so. a, it was actually because of going home for Christmas that we were like, wow, we really have to record again because so many people asked us about the podcast and they were like, when are you going to release the second episode of Witches and Wizards? And we were like, oh, you guys care? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's weird, like, because we can see the numbers, like, we see that people are listening to the podcast, but it's not until I feel like we have people that we know that are like, hey, when's the next podcast coming <laughs> out? That we're like, oh, yeah, people, there are real people out there that, that actually are listening. listening. Yeah, so um, our number one fans right now are Christian, one of uh, David's best friends from high school, mm -hmm. Aaron, my brother-in-law, and my mom, obviously. Mm -hmm. And shout out to all our other friends that listen. Just, that <laughs> just haven't no. said anything to us. I know, I'm just kidding. No, but there there were just some like random people that came out of the woodwork and were like, I listen to every episode. Where's like, the next episode? Where is it? Yeah. So so here we are. We're back. And uh, this is episode two of the Witches and Wizards uh, series that was supposed to be for Halloween. And um, uh, it's not Halloween anymore. I, I feel like it sounds like, you know, people have to pull our teeth to get us to record another episode. But we do genuinely enjoy doing this. Oh, so. yeah, absolutely. We absolutely love doing this. It's just that the last, I don't know, couple months have been extreme for us. Yeah. And I guess as we're still in the beginning stages of this to a degree. Yeah, for sure. But I got a story. You do? I do. I have one. So today we are going to talk about the Bell Witch. A lot of people do podcasts on this. So if you've heard about the Bell Witch before... It's very possible that everything I tell you will not be new to you, but hopefully there will be some things that I have gleaned from my resources that you have not heard. I know we did record this before, so you've told me this story already, but I genuinely don't remember why she's called the Bell Witch. Sick. Love that. She... It doesn't have anything to do with an actual bell, does it? No. Okay. Are you ready? Sure. Okay. In the early 1800s, John Bell moved his wife Lucy and their children from North Carolina to Robertson County, Tennessee, where he purchased 320 acres of farmland along the Red River. There it is. Their last name's Bell. Yeah. That's why. Make Boom. We got it right off the bat. Cool. Uh, to those who live in Tennessee now, this area is known as Adams, Tennessee, which is about 40 miles northwest of Nashville and about 30 miles southeast of like Fort Campbell, Kentucky. For years, this family lived happily in their home. They were a cornerstone of the community, having been among the first to settle in that area, so they quite literally helped 
build the community. Um, They were popular among their neighbors, they were members of their local church, and they seemed to be living frontier family fun. But in the summer of 1817, things would drastically change for the Bell family. It all started one evening while John Bell was inspecting the crops in his cornfield. As he looked around, he suddenly sees this massive black dog. Some versions of this legend say that the animal had the body of a dog and the head of a rabbit. And some just say it was an impossibly large black dog. And some say that it was a dog with two heads. And some say the dog had red eyes. And some say, like, there's a lot of versions of this imagery of this dog but the most consistent one is that it had the body of a dog and the head of a rabbit so there's something weird going on with its head there's something wrong with this dog genuinely sure so whatever john's eyes saw that day his brain couldn't quite comprehend like it was too big to be a dog but it wasn't a wolf and beyond that this creature was just sitting there staring at john with like human-like intent Mm mm-hmm This animal creeped him out so much that he actually took a shot at it with his rifle. Some legends say uh, the bullet missed its mark, and then some say that the bullet hit the dog, but it didn't affect it at all. Okay. Either way, this bullet was enough to drive the dog away into the woods nearby, but it was seemingly unwounded. Oh, okay. So when John went to where the creature had just been sitting in his cornfield, he saw absolutely no sign of an animal having been there. No corn stalks were down. There were no paw prints in the mud. Nothing. Hmm. It was like it didn't exist. Okay, so I'm getting like Mothman, like like this is an omen type vibes. I'm so proud of you. You're starting to link legends together. <laughs> thank you. Aww. Thank you. <laughs> did My not future know this husband, was... I'm so proud of you. Did not know this would be such a heartwarming moment. It was but... so heartwarming. I love it. <laughs> I'm actually have tears in my eyes right now. Wow, I didn't know it would be so meaningful. Oh my gosh. Yes, it's giving it's giving omen. It's giving um, potential schizophrenia. It's giving it's giving lots of things. Sure. So shortly after this, things began happening in the bell home. So it started with knocking sounds. Side note, it always starts with knocking sounds. But these knocking sounds kept the family awake at night. And each time they would search for an answer, the knocking would either just stop and start again as soon as they got back in bed, or they would just be unable to locate anything. Just sounds annoying, honestly. It does, truly. The knocking soon became this strange gnawing sound. The children were awoken in the night to sounds of something gnawing on their wooden bedposts. Rats! (laughs) At first, they thought they might have a rodent problem. But when they investigated it, there was no damage to the beds and no critters crawling around their home. So, like, Good. <laughs> so the gnawing kept happening with no explanation. Like, there were no signs that it was physically happening in the world, but they were hearing it. As and, long as it's not rats. I know. You hate rats. Some accounts say um, that the next noises they heard were sounds of chains dragging across the floor in the night. Uh, Some accounts say that they heard invisible dogs barking and snarling. And some accounts say that the noise turned into what sounded like someone gasping for air under their beds, which would honestly be the worst one for me. Do invisible dogs sound different than regular dogs? (laughs) (laughs) I think they were, they heard invisible dogs because they didn't see any dogs. Gotcha. (laughs) Yeah, you know how um, how normal dogs, they make more of a, a bark? Yeah. <laughs> Invisible dogs are more of a 
a Russ. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> good to know. Good to know. Oh, that's funny. Either way, the family was scared and having a hard time sleeping at night. So they tried to chalk it up to a prank being played on them by someone in town. So John Bell, the dad, patriarch, became very determined for a time to catch the prankster in the act. So he was literally like waiting up at night for sounds to start happening and then like jumping out of the house and running around the house to like see who was scratching at their walls. I don't Mm -hmm. know. Sure. But it soon became very clear that no humans were doing this to them. I mean, if you live out in the middle of nowhere, there's only so many places somebody could run up to your house and then go hide yeah. without you knowing about it. So the sounds at night slowed down, but they were replaced with family members being pinched, slapped, and having their hair pulled by unseen hands. That's not a great sign. They would be in bed at night and suddenly have the sheets, like, ripped off of them. Or, like, they would be pulled out of bed by their ankles, which is honestly one of my biggest fears in the entire world. Yeah, I mean, once it starts physically interacting with humans, I feel like you're getting into scary territory. I don't know. Something gasping for air underneath my bed, uh, that would be a no-go for me. From the, It wouldn't get any worse than that before I started panicking. I guess so. So it became so bad that John Bell finally decided he needed to reach out for help. So he asked a friend named James Johnson to come spend the night hoping that someone other than the Bell family would see and hear what was happening to them. So sure enough, James comes over, he stays the night, and he was awoken in the middle of the night by the sheets being ripped off his body and an unseen hand slapping him across the face. Was there anything special about uh, the JJ? Or was he Good old just, JJ, yeah, James Johnson. James Johnson, yeah. Was there anything, like, was he a priest of some kind? No, he was just their friend. Just just a guy. I yeah. mean, think about it. If something wild were happening to us, who would we, we would call friends who wouldn't think we were crazy first. So that's probably what he did. He was like, at least John will hear me out without thinking that I'm losing my mind. You know what I mean? Anyway, awoken in the middle of the night, sheets being ripped off his body and just an unseen hand, just slapping him, giving him a good one across the face. Some accounts claim that this was so startling to James that he jumped out of bed and screamed, In the name of God, who are you? No one answered, obviously. (laughs) But the next morning, James told John he thought this was an evil spirit like, quote, the kind the Bible talks about, end quote. So a demon. A diamond. Now, feeling somewhat justified that someone outside of their family and outside of their home had witnessed what they were experiencing, it didn't make it easier for the Bells to live in the house with this thing. So those taking most of the abuse physically from whatever this was were John Bell himself and his daughter, Betsy Bell. Hmm. Betsy was a preteen at the time, so she would have been about 11 or 12 in 1817 when this all began. Um, It wasn't really clear why those two were singled out. I will note that in a lot of like poltergeist stories or situations, it's always the hormonal teen girl that gets attacked by the entity. Just they can feed off more emotion is like the suggestion Uh, there. Anyway, but it wasn't really clear why these two were singled out until the entity began speaking. What? It started out with whispers that couldn't be heard clearly enough to determine what was trying to be said, but slowly the whispers began talking and singing and reciting and snitching and lying. This entity was a talker. Like, this gal loved to gab. She knew scripture. She could recite entire books of the Bible. She would sing hymns, and she would know things about the family that were almost impossible to learn. 
Pretty soon, though, the singing hymns turned into disgusting insults that she would throw at John Bell anytime he was home, and racist things that she said about the slaves that the Bells owned, which is a whole bummer rabbit hole in and of itself. But honestly, the only person she seemed to like was Lucy, who was John's wife. She called her, and I quote, the most perfect woman to walk the earth. Yeah, I is... thought that was my title, but you know, <laughs> just kidding. This is wild. This is like, so this thing is just talking and talking and talking for like hours. Correct. Sounds like it's gaining power slowly over time. Exactly. Somehow. That's the, that's the vibe that you should be picking up on. Okay. It's, um, it got so bad that it wasn't even scary anymore. It was just so loud and keeping them up at night that it was annoying. Yeah. So you go from having something gasping under your bed for air and snarling dogs to just somebody singing hymns at an obnoxious rate mm-hmm. all through the evening. So beyond words, the Bell Witch was almost omnipotent. So like at one point, she recited two sermons that happened at the exact same time as one another, 13 miles apart. She recited these sermons in front of the preachers who gave the sermons And people were baffled by her because she got it exactly right. How could she be in two places at once? How could she memorize entire sermons from listening to it one time? Like, what the heck was happening? Yeah, that's a tough one to explain. People began traveling from all around to see the Bell House and to meet the newly named Bell Witch. There it is. She said it. This thing allegedly sang along with the church congregation at weekly prayer meetings. She was accurately imitating people from all over town and would intelligently argue with folks over scripture. So she's not just like talking to the Bell family. Like she's like doing the whole thing. She's like a a community talk show host at this point. Well, it's also interesting if she's some kind of evil spirit, then she's not like shying away from like the church or christianity or spirituality well i mean a lot of people believe that the devil and demons know scripture better than most christians do yeah i don't don't disagree with that concept i guess but the stereotype is that they would shy away from areas where god or some like a positive Mm -hmm. a light source sure was present the only thing i will say about that is that is a trope that we have been told by hollywood and by different horror movies that we see and like yes that is your instinct to say that because that's kind of like a societal thought a demon let's say let's say the bell witch is a demon for all we know a demon could become buddy buddy with you and bond with you over scripture just to slowly twist your mind into other directions because if something agrees with you in the beginning and then slowly starts to change you might change with it rather than something directly going against what you have naturally believed all your life So one interesting account of the Bell Witch happened to an Englishman visiting, and while he was investigating kind of what was going on, he voiced his skepticism out loud. And the Bell Witch had an attitude and decided to freak him out. So when the Englishman mentioned his family overseas, the Bell Witch began speaking in what sounded like this guy's mother and father's voices. And the mimicking of them totally unnerved this guy. He later wrote a letter to the Bells basically apologizing for his skepticism because while he had heard his parents through the entity in the Bells' home, his parents had claimed to hear their son's voice seemingly out of thin air 
all the way across the ocean at the same time. Like mm -hmm. they wrote him letters like this weird thing happened and we're really afraid. Like, are you okay? Was this something telling us that you that you were sick, that you died? Like what happened? Like, are you all right? Mm -hmm. And it just happened to be at the exact same time that he was hearing them in the bell house. So almost like she opened some sort of portal mm -hmm. in between there and there. Arguably, one of the most famous accounts of the entity was her encounter with Andrew Jackson. Yes, the seventh president of the United States, Andrew Jackson. The story of the Bell Witch caught the then Major General's attention, so Jackson was determined to solve this mystery. So he and a group of travelers went on their way to the Bell home, and while they were on their way, their wagon got stuck in the mud. The horses couldn't or refused to pull it out. The legend says that after several attempts to move the wagon, Jackson just threw his hands up in the air and said, By the eternal, boys, this must be the Bell Witch. At that moment that he said that, the wagon broke free of the mud and the horses began to walk. Supposedly, the group heard the Bell Witch's voice say, Carry on, General. I will see you this evening. Hmm. Yeah, so the Bell Witch saw him come in and was like, you will admit that you believe in me before I let you carry on. Interesting. She didn't like skeptics, clearly. As interesting as those moments were, the family just really wanted to know who this spirit was, what it wanted, and mostly, when is it going to leave? So when asked these things, the Bell Witch first answered, I quote, I am the spirit of a person who was buried in the woods nearby, and the grave has been disturbed. My bones disinterred and scattered, and one of my teeth was lost under this house, and I am here looking for that tooth. She pushed this narrative to the point that John Bell pried up the floorboards in search for this missing tooth, only to get near the end of prying up all the boards, and the Bell Witch just started cackling at him because it was all a joke. Yeah, it's just annoying. So I read this awesome Atlas Obscura article. It was by a guy named Colin Dickey, and he talked about how books and films and podcasts have added to this claim that the Bell Witch made, um, where she was buried nearby and disturbed and all that. A lot of people will add that the Bell Farm was on Native American burial ground, you know. Mm -hmm. And he said something that made me laugh. He said, some insist that the Bell Farm was on a Native American burial ground, a standard trope most exclusive to white Americans as a way of engaging with the Native American genocide while keeping it at arm's length. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I understand that approach to it, yeah. I just laughed a lot. He, I was like, I'm, I'm, you're not wrong. So right. I think it's funny, just uh, the Bell Witch never claims to have been part of an Indian burial ground. She just claims to have been buried nearby. Right. But Americans were like... Mm, she must be one of them people we killed. Yeah, yeah. The Bell Witch continued to change her origin story. So after one tireless interrogation about who she was, the Bell Witch gave up the name Kate Bats. Kate was a woman who lived near the Bells, and she was actually not super friendly with the Bells from the stories that I've read. It was said that she believed John Bell had cheated her out of some land that very well could have been a motive or it could have been a made-up motive like who knows if that actually happened so this woman's actively alive actively alive so honestly when you listen to other podcasts about the bell witch they talk so much about kate bats and this theory that this physical woman was the physical embodiment of this spirit haunting the bells mm -hmm. i don't buy it and none of the stories i read really press that issue very much so like i'm not going to 
Okay, yeah, I mean, I feel like that sort of adds to the general or usual concept of a witch. Like, a sure. witch is usually a woman who is, you know... I get that. Who is doing something, like, an alive yeah. person. Yeah, it's, it's, it's giving witch trials. It's yeah. giving, pointing the finger at an old spinster with no backbone. Mm-hmm. She's a scapegoat. Like, I don't feel like that's actually the answer. Yeah, and in a weird way, it feels like this spirit is buying time for some reason um and is just going off on all these tangents rather than like knowing almost that the bells are eventually going to figure out what it is Mm -hmm. but just trying to sidetrack them yeah yeah the bell witch immediately recanted that she was kate bats but the nickname kate did stick with the family so the bell family referred to the bell witch as kate which I think is kind of funny. Like, if we had a neighbor we didn't like and oh, this Kate. ghost was haunting us, we'd be like, all right, Phil, chill out. <laughs> Phil is great. <laughs> we don't have a neighbor named Phil, so. Nope. So the Bell Witch, or Kate, as the family called her, lied many times about who and what she was. But looking back, we can see a clear motive and reason for this entity, whoever they are, to be in the Bell home. And that reason was to kill John Bell. Oh. Throughout this whole ordeal... From the time the Bell Witch began speaking, John had been getting sicker. There are tales of him walking along the road with his son and then suddenly like falling to the ground in agony and just twisting around in the dirt in ways his body shouldn't have, only for him to like suddenly stand back up as though nothing happened. He was struggling to eat because he was having trouble swallowing, his tongue felt weird, and he kept getting these weird twitches in his face and other parts of his body. He suffered from episodes that we would now call seizures. Mm -hmm. So on December 20th, 1820, John Bell died at the age of 70. When he was found, there was a mysterious vial half filled with a dark colored liquid laying next to the bed. The doctors inspected it only to hear the Bell Witch celebrate the death of John Bell. She claimed she killed him, saying, I've got him this time and he will never get up from that bed again. Some accounts say that they found John Bell dead and when his family ran to the medicine cabinet, all the medicine was gone except the small dark colored liquid in a vial and they were all confused with what it was and the Bell Witch simply told them that she had given John his medicine. Ew. Isn't that creepy? Yeah. Um, Also, I'm going to do a trigger warning of animal cruelty. I'll make it short. It's just sad. Um, It involves a cat and I love cats so it made me sad. But anyway... So hearing this claim that the Bell Witch poisoned John Bell with whatever was in this vial, the family decided to give the liquid to a cat to see if it was in fact poisonous. Animal testing. Mm -hmm. So the cat died after ingesting it, obviously, and the family doctor said that the liquid shared a similar smell with the scent on John Bell's breath. Um, So clearly, no matter where they found it, they were blaming this dark colored liquid on his death. Yeah. So the family decided to destroy the poison by throwing it into the fire and it ignited into like a blue flame, which really freaked them out. Hmm. At John Bell's funeral, it was said that the Bell Witch sang happy drinking songs and celebrated John's death in front of all the mourners. Kate was really not a fan. of No, she was jazzed that John died. So after the Bell Witch killed John Bell, she stuck around uh, to change the course of another Bell's life, uh, Betsy Bell. Betsy, you'll remember, is John Bell's daughter. She was the one who kind of got the other side of the hand slap when it came to, you know, physical torture. Yeah. But Betsy was in love with a man named Joshua Gardner, 
whom the Bell Witch hated almost as much as she hated John. I think I knew someone in college named Josh Gardner. Oh, really? Yeah. Apparently, the witch tormented Betsy and begged her not to marry Joshua. Like, it's unclear why she cared so much, but after Betsy broke off their engagement, the Bell Witch finally left the family alone. There are claims that the Bell Witch came back to the family in 1828, but there aren't many stories about it, so it's like always a footnote. Mm-hmm. But today, you can go and tour the property. They have a reconstructed version of the Bell Cabin, and all the caves on the property kind of have become part of the legend where they say, oh, like, this must have been the cave where the Bell Witch came from, or this must be where she lived, or this much mm-hmm. must be where she's hiding now. Anyway, you can see all of that for less than $25. So that is the story of the Bell Witch. So first, I want to tell you a little bit more about John Bell's death as seen today. So first of all, John Bell's death was legally attributed to the Bell Witch, making Tennessee the only state to recognize a person's death to the supernatural, which I love. Go Mm -hmm. Tennessee. Second, there's a little more medical understanding about John's death now. So if we went to a doctor today with the symptoms that John Bell exhibited, it would probably be flagged first as a neurological issue. So obviously we can't go back and learn much from the evidence that doesn't exist. But I did find an article that really intrigued me. It's from the Tennessean. Um, It's written by a doctor who spoke at an event called Science on Tap, which I thought that's a cool name for Mm -hmm. an event. Anyway, especially if you did, if it was called Science on Tap and it was like at a brewery. (laughs) That'd be amazing. Anyway, this is Dr. Megan Mann. Basically, Dr. Mann took this case of what happened to John Bell and looked at it through a science lens. So in a quote from the Tennessean article, she describes John's illness like this. His son talked about all these strange medical symptoms he was having, and a lot of them sounded very neurological to me. Bell Witch historian and author Pat Fitzhugh, which you cannot talk about the Bell Witch without bringing up Pat Fitzhugh. He's Mm -hmm. quite literally like the person who said it's kind of like how you can't bring up Mothman without bringing up John Keel. Like it's like they're one and the same. I know there's someone similar for like the... um... The man who died on the beach who they just found out what his identity is. The Summerton is. man? Yeah. There, there's like one guy who's like the resident expert on the Summerton man. I can't remember his name. But anyway, gotcha. this guy is that guy. Yes. For this story. For the Bowitch, yes. So author and historian Pats Fitzhugh also believes that John Bell suffered from a disorder of the central nervous system, something that affects your brain or your spinal cord. In the Tennessean article I was talking about earlier, Dr. Mann the gal I was talking about earlier, said that the neurological symptoms like the ones John Bell was experiencing can oftentimes be caused by heavy metal poisoning. Okay, yeah. So at the time of John's death, there were only 50 known elements. Isn't that weird? Like there were all... Yeah, there are like hundreds. Right, right. right. There over 100. Right. So at the time of John's death, there were only 50 known elements, 10 of which could cause blue flame when being thrown into a fire. So after research and consideration, Dr. Mann points out to long-term arsenic poisoning as the most likely answer. So she thinks that John Bell got small doses of arsenic over the course of, you know, three years and had a large fatal dose at the end when he died. It would go along with the face-switching symptoms, the blue flame, and sadly killing the cat pretty quickly with the little amount. But apparently around this time, arsenic poisoning was sort of a problem. Like, people were getting away with murders with arsenic, and it's not that far-fetched to think that this would happen to John Bell. I'm actually reading a book right now that has nothing to do with the Bell Witch, but has everything to do with um, murder and true crime, how we know it today, being started in Victorian times, 
the way that the Victorians got involved and started to put murder in their literature and their plays and in the news Mm -hmm. has led to what we have now as true crime and why we are all so obsessed with murder. So one of the things that they talk about in this book, there's like three chapters on poison. Mm -hmm. And so it started off as like a a lower class thing where people were poisoning one another to get like insurance payouts and stuff Mm -hmm. to make money. But then it moved to the middle class because the middle class liked liked learning about it, liked hearing about it because it could never happen to them. But then it started happening to them. There was all this panic, panic over poison because it was tasteless and it was hard to, to figure out, you know, if you'd been poisoned or not because science wasn't really that, you know, evolved and things Mm -hmm. like that. So I think it's really interesting to read about it because it was it was genuinely a fear. Like they made laws specifically about poison. Mm-hmm. And there were literally times where somebody would die in your family and they had no proof, but you'd bought poison in the last like three years, you killed them. Like it was a witch hunt basically over over poison. So this explanation would also go along with the Bell Witch's statement, I have got him this time, he will never get up from that bed again. So like it could have been that the Bell Witch was poisoning him slowly over time. And then finally, she's like, I got him this time. Boom. Finally had enough energy to, to pour the rest of that vial in there. I don't know. So now I am ready to talk about theories. Do you want to provide your opinions first or would you like me to... Um, so I will say that as of now, I do not think that this was actually a spiritual encounter. Okay. And I I don't necessarily want to accuse anyone, but the theory that immediately comes to mind Mm -hmm. is that the wife did it. The wife? The wife slowly poisoned John over time. Okay. Potentially because perhaps John was abusive in some way towards her. Okay. It seems very motherly that the Bell Witch, quote unquote, would push her daughter not to marry this Another person. abusive man. Yeah. Yeah. So th- that is the theory that immediately comes to mind. I don't have necessarily have a lot of evidence for that. And I know that the arguments against that are all of these things that happen that can't necessarily be explained. But I think... At the time, it was a lot easier. There was a lot more that people can't explain as opposed to now. Okay. Like spiritually and things like that, it was a lot easier for people to be convinced of something was spiritual because it couldn't be explained otherwise, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Sure. The theory that I have when it comes to abuse, because I do feel like that could be a Mm -hmm. thing, is I always assumed that the reason that that bad things were only happening to John and Betsy were because John was abusing Betsy. Okay. And so whether or not the wife was doing it or Betsy was doing it or whatever else, like it would be a great way to explain why Betsy has bruises. I don't know, things like that. Like if you were to just be like, oh, well, the Bell Witch comes after the two of us. Mm -hmm. No, it's just that the two of you fight or the two of you, I don't know you hurt her in some way. I've also thought that, and this is where I get a little more woohoo than you do, but I could also see the Bell Witch if 
this is a real spirit. John Bell very well could have been an abusive, horrible person. And the Bell Witch was attempting to protect the rest of the family. There is no evidence or accusations that John Bell was abusive or doing anything. Mm -hmm. But obviously a different time, different era. And that's why I sort of, you know, keep adding caution to what my theory is. Because again, there isn't a lot of evidence for it necessarily. No, but it's a good thing to bring up. Yeah, and this is someone who has passed away. And so if they weren't guilty, like I hate to speak badly of their memory. Allegedly. Yeah, that is the theory that comes to mind. This is a spirit that just seems so different at its core than any other spirits that at least I've ever heard of. Most spirits that you hear about or hauntings that you hear about, they will haunt one person or a a small group of people, but will not speak out loud to large groups of people in the middle of the day. Mm -hmm. Like it's just so different and so detached from other stories sure. of its kind. Sure. And I'm not ruling out other people being aware of the abuse and therefore being in on this ruse of the Bell Witch. I feel like maybe even that would be necessary mm-hmm. to convince so many people of it. But sure. yeah. Well, one popular theory that comes out of nowhere, honestly, there apparently was a school teacher named Richard Powell who supposedly wanted to marry Betsy Bell when she was a teenager. And it's said that he summoned the Bell Witch to haunt the family when Betsy's father told him, no, you cannot marry my teenage daughter. And this would explain why John and Betsy were at the center of the witch's wrath because Richard had an issue with them. And he's the one that that summoned this demon. I don't know. I feel like this just makes it sound like it's so easy. Like like anybody can just summon a demon to yeah. like haunt somebody. Hey, we don't know. We don't know what tricks he had. I guess so. Maybe things were different back then. Who knows? So second, there is this theory that Betsy was doing it for attention. Um, They even consider that she may have been abused by her father. So she took her hatred out on him, Mm -hmm. um, throwing her voice, doing ventriloquism. And I get that. But to that, I say for three years, Mm -hmm. that's a commitment to the bit, my friend. Like that's. If you're being abused, though, I feel like. I don't know. I mean, trauma does a lot of things to people, but having hundreds of people come through your home and examine what's going on and not one of them being like, hey, this gal over here is moving her jaw a little bit. What's going Like, you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you'd have to add on to the fact that Betsy murdered her father and then talked herself into breaking off her engagement, which, sure, okay. I just... I have a hard time seeing it because there were so many logical people coming through these homes trying to find... The skepticism mm-hmm. and not being able to. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's just, again, because there was so much that was already unexplainable at the time that can be explained today. It's easy once the belief is already out there by so many people to continue to convince other people because the thought and the idea is already in their minds and the minds, like the mind can be a powerful thing. And that. So you're just convincing them of what they already know. That's the vibe. Well, so it, like if someone who already believes or believes that it's a possibility that they're going into a place that is haunted by a spirit. They're automatically they are, gonna... They're going to be more likely to quote unquote experience something. They're more likely to believe that they experience something, even if nothing actually happens. Mm-hmm. She's just smiling at me, guys, and I don't know why. (laughs) No, I think it's funny because there are a lot of people that take that theory and use it the way you just used it. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of people that take that theory and use it against the way you just used it. 
Interesting. So there are a lot of people that would say, yeah, like if you think a house is haunted, you're going to go in and you're going to startle yourself and you're going to, your brain's going to be powerful and make you think that you see or feel or whatever. Yeah. The other side of that coin that a lot of people use to combat that is, sure, if you think a house is haunted, you're going to go in there and blah, blah, blah. But they think more like if you're going in there with the willingness and with that energy that it's easier for the ghosts to siphon that energy off of you yeah. in order to manifest. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. So there are people who would just slap that that argument in your face again. So I think it's fun. I just think it's yeah. funny hearing I mean, when you do that. Yeah, I mean, again, I'm coming at it from the opposite way. So I know. the argument from the other side isn't, it doesn't hold a lot of weight with me, but I understand sure. why. Yeah. People who believe in like the power of energy and belief. Yeah. And, and I don't know why I always think of this and you'll have to remind me what the word that I'm thinking of is, but I think it's the very first episode of Legend or of, uh, not of Legend Logic, the very first episode of... Is it a podcast? Yeah, the Legend podcast where you listen Astonishing to. Astonishing Legends? Yeah, Astonishing Legends. The very first episode. It's the black... Uh, that you ever listened to? No. The Black Eyed Kids? No, I think it's the very first episode. Oh. Um... um the Black Monk of Pontefract? No, That's it's, a, it's not a grave site. Uh, the the Black Mausoleum or whatever. Oh, okay, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Sure. That one, I always think of that one because people constantly go there and then they all, like, a lot of people come out and they're like, oh, something scratched me or like grabbed my clothing or something. Sure. And I'm just like, if a group of people who are already scared go into a mausoleum in a graveyard in the middle of the night you know these people are in it like a sort of a small enclosed space mm -hmm. if you brush up against something you're gonna be like oh uh, you know a spirit did it and it's like no like okay yeah you're funny one other theory that people have is that the family made it up for like fame and money this is false like if anything they lost most of their livelihood on this yeah that one i don't buy yeah they never asked for a cent for people to come and like walk through their house um they opened their home to people fed people let them stay there like it, there is absolutely no record of anybody giving anybody any money for this except for maybe later in life because i know some of the descendants like wrote books and stuff uh -huh. so maybe later in life they made some money but like nobody in this family these people who were alive made any money yeah but my last theory is is more my speed so whew, let me just stretch it out a little bit mm -hmm. okay. get ready yeah put it out there sure so for me, at the end of this tale, all I could think of was how hungry this entity was. And whatever the Bell Witch was, if not an earthly explanation, fed off this family. Like, mm -hmm. it had to grow in strength. It started with knocks before it could gnaw, and then it had to whisper before it could talk. Like, they gave it power. Those who came to see it for themselves gave it power. It had fear from people. It had intrigue. It had fame. It had all these things that it seemed to need to survive. I don't know. I don't want to call it an attachment spirit, but because that doesn't feel right. Like that, that definition doesn't feel right, but I'm trying to come up with a correct entity and I'm coming up short. So I guess a lot of people compare the bell witch to Jinn. Have you ever heard of Jinn? J-I-N-N? -N? No. In Islamic culture, Jinn live alongside other creatures, but form a world other than that of mankind so like they can see us but they cannot be seen like they have freedom they're intellectual they can choose between right and wrong they are said to be <laughs> they're said to have uh, been created from the smokeless flame of fire they are thought to inhabit caves and deserted places and graveyards and, and darkness and 
in Islamic writings, a true jinn possession can cause a person to have seizures. So I'm not saying that I believe in jinn, but I think that what is described in jinn is similar to what I have pictured as the bell witch. She has the freedom to clearly go wherever she wants. She went and sang at his funeral. Mm -hmm. She was at this house. She's at the church. She's at this sermon. She's like, she has freedom. She's very intellectual. She can argue with people. She can clearly learn. Um, She can clearly choose right from wrong. So she clearly like loves Lucy and hates John and Mm -hmm. she, you know, does this good and also this bad. So I don't know. It's just, that's the, that's the vibe I get. And it's the closest definition I can give to her. In some ways, though, too, she's also similar to our known, like, Christian demons that I do wholeheartedly believe in. So Mm -hmm. my first thought was it's a demon. But I'd have to think that a very religious, active Christian family would have explored that if that's what it felt like to them. Like, you never hear the bells calling this thing a demon. And you'd think that if you are a Christian and you believe in the name of Jesus is more powerful than any demon. So I don't know. I didn't end with the demon theory because the family didn't go there. Yeah. And they never tried to fight it in a Christian way like that, Mm -hmm. which makes me feel like either they didn't, either they knew what it was, maybe, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And they knew it wasn't a demon or like even their friend was like, this is a, this is a demon. Like the one they talk about in the Bible, this is an evil spirit, whatever. Yeah. And they were like, eh, maybe. Yeah, it's it's really interesting that you, especially at the time that that wasn't an approach that people took. But I feel like that again leads to you know this thing that we both sort of agreed with, and that this is like a really different kind of spirit than we usually right. see. Right, which think. is why this story is told so often is because you can't really compare it to many other things. Yeah, but I'm surprised like in this day and age of when this story was happening, like I'm surprised they didn't just like burn down the whole house and yeah. call it a day. <laughs> Yeah. Just kill the whole family and problem solved. Like that would have been very Salem of them. Mm -hmm. I don't know. At the end of the day for me, I think it it has to be something that can't be explained. If that many people came through and believed and saw and nobody, because people love to ruin the party. People love being party poopers. People Mm -hmm. love being the smart one Mm -hmm. that nobody came in and was like, you're wrong. You're doing that. Like agreed. So, I don't know. It has to be something that that can't be explained or at least couldn't have been explained at the time, Mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah, I mean, there are some stories that I'm like, that I definitely don't think is that there is a spiritual explanation for it. Mm -hmm. And people who do think that there is a spiritual explanation for it, I'm like, really? Like, this seems pretty obvious to me. This particular one, I do not think any less of anybody for being like, this is obviously a spiritual explanation. I still don't necessarily buy it, but... Sure. I can see it. I can easily see it both ways. That's that's cool that I finally got you to kind of tip the other way. Because I feel like there are times where you get me to be Mm -hmm. logical. Yeah. I don't know that I've ever gotten you to be more woohoo than you are right now. Yeah, I mean, this one, you know, again, I have my theories and I stand by them to an extent, but I don't have a lot of evidence for them necessarily. And like I said at the beginning of the podcast, I do believe that there are some that are real and this might be one of them. You guys, he's a believer. (laughs) All right, well, that's all I have. You have anything else to add? I do not. All right. Well, um, if you like the podcast, you can follow us on Instagram at Legend Logic Podcast. You can shoot us an email at legendlogicpodcast at gmail.com. And we hope you keep listening. Nice job. Bring this back with a banger. Thank you. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Bye.